Chapter 10 of Carpenter's World Travels Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Treasures Under the Sea. My typewriter is clicking away on the roof of the modern cave of Aladdin. The rock underneath me has been cut up into tunnels, which wind about in a maze more complicated than the labyrinth of Rosamond's bower. Some of the passageways go far out under the ocean, and others have been cut for miles through the mountain. Out of them have come treasures far more valuable than those brought by the slaves of the lamp, and from them today a long procession of genii is continually marching, bringing out fresh gold from the caverns under the hills and the sea. I am speaking of the Treadwell and Alaska Gastineau Mines, situated on Douglas Island in the Gastineau Channel, and on the mainland opposite. It is these properties which have given to Juneau the name of the Golden Belt City, and made for her a place among the gold centers of the world. The rocks in these hills have yielded something like 80 millions of dollars, or more than 11 times what we paid for the entire territory. There are in Alaska two kinds of gold mining, placer mining and quartz mining. In placer mining, loose bits of gold, ranging in size from tiny grains to big nuggets, are washed out of gravel or sand, usually in or near the bed of a stream. The gold mining around Fairbanks and Nome is of this character. In a quartz mine, there are loads, or veins of hard rock sprinkled with specks of gold, which must be ground to powder before the gold can be extracted by chemical process. Such ores are known as high or low grade, according to the amount of gold recovered from a ton of rock. The mines in the Juneau district, the most important quartz loads yet found and worked in all Alaska, consist of low-grade ores. Nevertheless, they have produced more than four-fifths of all the quartz gold mined in the territory. These Juneau mines are among the most famous gold properties, being the first where paying quantities of gold were separated from such low-grade ore. Much of the ore in the Treadwell group contains less than $2 worth of gold to the ton, and of the millions of tons which have been mined, the average has produced only $2.42 per ton. The Gastineau mines are an even lower-grade proposition, the average there being only $1.50 per ton. Have you any idea of what gold ore carrying only $1.50 a ton means? Gold is worth $20 an ounce, and at that rate, a dollar and fifty cents worth of gold would equal only about one-thirteenth of an ounce. Divide a $20 gold piece into 13 parts, and no part will be as big as a pea. Nevertheless, that pea of gold is all that is to be found in one whole ton of this ore. A ton of ore is a cartload for two horses. Grind your pea into the finest powder, and put one of the grains of that powder into every bit of rock in the cartload, and you have some idea of how the gold is scattered through the rock and how difficult it is to get it all out. Or, suppose the gold to be salt and the ore to be water. I went to a drug store today and weighed out enough salt to just equal the weight of the gold in a ton of this ore. The salt did not fill a teaspoon, but a ton of water would fill a 250-gallon hogshead. Now, if you should drop your spoonful of salt into the hogshead and churn up the water, 
until the salt is thoroughly mixed through it all you would have just the proportion of gold and rock in some of the mines of which i am writing think of getting the pea made of gold powder out of the cartload of rock in such a way that half of it will more than pay all the costs and you have the problem which the operators of the gastineau mine successfully solved obviously in times of high prices for chemicals supplies and labor these mines like other low-grade properties cannot be operated at a profit and are forced to close down until prices drop and the buying power of gold goes up or until cheaper ways of treating the ore are found but before i go further let me tell you something of the romance of these properties immediately back of me on the side of the mountain is the great glory hole on the site where the first goal was discovered it is several hundred feet above the gastineau channel and far down the slope of the mountain the upper portions of which are now covered with snow the glory hole is a mighty ellipse eight hundred feet long six hundred feet broad and more than six hundred feet deep the washington monument could be dropped down inside and its aluminum tip would still be fifty feet from the top it could be laid lengthwise within it and the ends would not touch the sides the walls of the glory hole are of black rock streaked with drab and gray while here and there is a string of white quartz from which comes the gold as i looked down on it a great rock slid off the top and went crashing down to the bottom it was from such rocks that the mine got the name of glory hole miners were often killed by them and thus transported to glory strange to say many of the deaths were due to crows which made the neighborhood of the glory hole their favorite roosting and feeding place they were so numerous that trumpeters were stationed about the hole to warn the miners of danger in case a flock should light on the edges the first blast of the trumpet meant the crows are now lighting and the second warned the miners that the rocks were loosening and would soon be down upon them a slight pecking of the gravel overhead was liable to start an avalanche that would carry tons of rock down the sides even now the glory hole is by no means safe the earth and the rock about it have not yet reached their equilibrium and slides like those in the panama canal sometimes occur the richest ore of the treadwell mines was found at the top like cream it seemed to have risen from the low-grade gold-bearing rock underneath this ore was discovered by a canadian whose nickname was french pete and whose real name was pierre erussard when juno and harris were making their gold finds on the opposite side of the gastineau channel and beginning to prospect douglas island french pete came along with some indians he washed the sands on the beach and found color a little later he climbed up the hills to where the glory hole is and there discovered an outcrop of gold-bearing quartz upon which he located two claims he named one claim paris where he expected to spend the great treasures he had discovered and called the other bear's nest because it was in a little cave occupied by a bear and two cubs french pete then started mining but had nothing more than rockers and sluice pots and could crush and wash only the softer parts of the load he did not get enough to pay well and a little later on sold the mine to john treadwell for the sum of five hundred and five dollars to pay a pressing debt john treadwell who had come to alaska at the instance of some california capitalists 
had been prospecting in the Silver Bow Basin, back of Juneau, and had found quartz gold in the belt where the Ebner mine now is. But the gold was poor, and he was about to give up in despair and go back to San Francisco when he met Pete and learned of his discovery on Douglas Island. He went to see the claims, but did not think much of them, as the ore seemed to be of too low a grade to pay for the mining. He suggested, however, that Pete should give him a quit-claim deed for the two properties for $500, and he would try to sell them to the capitalists of San Francisco. Pete had a store, and the understanding was that if the mines were open, the miners would trade at his store. This was an additional consideration, and so for $500 was sold this property from which have already come more than 60 millions of dollars. The stock was floated in San Francisco, and Treadwell got one-third of it. The other owners were large capitalists, among them D.O. Mills, much of whose fortune came from this source. Later on, the Rothschilds of London bought into the property, and today the mine is owned by the Mills estate, the Rothschilds, and other rich men. From the start, the mines were operated with large capital. The first excavations were in the glory hole out of which five million tons of gold-bearing rock have been taken. About 15 years ago, the first underground stoping was done, and then began the tunneling of the earth and the work altogether underground. I cannot tell you just how many miles of underground works there now are, but the mining goes on for a long distance up and down the Gastineau Channel and far out under the ocean. The ore is lifted into great shaft houses, from which it descends by gravity to the mills. The ore bodies dip toward the channel, and some of the tunnels have hundreds of feet of salt water overhead. There are four mines in the Treadwell group, the Treadwell, the Mexican, the 700, and the Ready Bullion. The first three suspended operations in 1917 when a cave-in flooded the workings. One month after French Pete made his discovery, a handful of prospectors landed on Douglas Island. One of them scooped up a pan of gravel from the foot of what seemed to be an outcropping of a quartz load and washed it out. When he saw what a find he had made, he exclaimed, We have it, boys, almost the ready bullion. And so was christened the mine, which I went through yesterday with Mr. Russell G. Wayland, assistant manager of the Treadwell Properties. We climbed into a five-ton steel bucket as big as a hogshead, and held on to the rim. Then an electric signal was given, and we shot down into the darkness. The great bucket wobbled this way and that as we fell. Our descent was at an angle of about 50 degrees. We continued at that angle for something like 2,000 feet, after which the fall was even more precipitous. At last we stepped out far under the sea. With acetylene lamps, we picked our way through the tunnels and stopes. The tunnels were lighted by electricity, and each of them had its railroad. We walked between the tracks, stepping now and then to the side, and squeezing ourselves to the wall to let the ore trains pass. These trains were of cars drawn by mules. At one place we passed a mule stable, and I was told the mules were kept down in the mines for several years at a time. Those I saw were fat and not at all vicious. The darkness does not affect their eyesight, as is generally supposed. I stopped now and then in the stopes, or great caverns, where the miners were blasting the ore. 
they used drills operated by compressed air to sink the holes for the dynamite and thus blast out great rooms away down under the water these stopes are several hundred feet high and of almost an acre in area some of them are filled with gold ore nearly to the roof nevertheless only a slab of rock lies between them and the ocean leaving the mines i went through the mills where they were crushing the mighty masses of rock to powder and saving the small quantities of gold the red buildings may be seen from the ship's deck as one rides up the channel they wall the sides of the hills and as one comes near them a noise like so many blasts of artillery fills the air inside the din is furious you may shout into the ear of the man at your side but you cannot make yourself heard you cannot even hear your own words niagara is a soft hum beside treadmill said john burroughs the noise is from the hundreds of stamps which are always falling upon the ore to pulverize it as the ore comes in it is of all sizes from that of the broken stone of a macadamized road to masses as big as a flour barrel the larger chunks are broken until fit for the stamps these reduce everything to a powder as fine as the finest flour dust as one of the mills was not working i was able to examine the stamps each consists of a long steel beam as big around as the arm of a man fitted into a mighty steel shoe eight inches in diameter and perhaps a foot long this shoe is fastened to the end of the stamp and the stem and shoe together weigh about half a ton in crushing the ore the stem is raised and dropped on the ore one hundred times every minute think of dropping a half ton upon rock every time your watch ticks and you have a slight idea of the power that grinds this ore there are hundreds of these stamps working at once and as you look at them you do not wonder at the racket this smashing goes on day and night sundays and weekdays all the year through the wear and tear on the machinery is enormous the shoes are of solid steel each of them is twice as big as a loaf of bread but it is worn to the thickness of a knife blade after it has crushed three tons of ore the iron block upon which the ore lies is soon ground away and has to be replaced for every five tons the process of getting the ore out of the gold dust after the crushing is simple in front of the stamps is an apron of netting made of wires put together in a mesh finer than that of any kitchen sieve as the ore is crushed a stream of water carries the flour dust through the mesh and it falls on to inclined tables of copper coated with quicksilver now quicksilver has an affinity for gold and as the powdered ore flows over it it swallows the free gold and the rock sand passes on after a time the quicksilver becomes loaded with gold it is then scraped off and put into a furnace where the heat vaporizes the mercury and the pure gold only is left in addition to this free gold there is some in the baser minerals found in the rock these minerals are taken out on shaking tables and then treated to a cyanide bath which sucks up the gold just as water takes up any salt dropped into it the cyanide water is then put through a process which makes it give up the gold end of chapter ten